have Kainat Merchant in the makeshift studio. She's a South Asian TikToker who is breaking barriers by facilitating the dialogue by bringing culturally controversial topics to the forefront of her platform. She has 72.2 thousand followers and 2.3 million likes on all of her uh, content. How are you doing today, Kainat? I am fantastic. How are you? (laughs) I'm well. Thank you so much for asking. How's it going? It's going great. Just, you know, started grad school this week. Like it started for the semester and already swamped with work. So that's been overwhelming. But for the most part, everything is good. I'm hanging in there. That's awesome. So tell our listener, our peeps a little bit more about yourself. Where are you from? Where are you at? Where are you going? (laughs) Yeah. um, So both my parents are Indian immigrants and they came Mm -hmm. here back in 96. So I was born in the U.S. Um, I was the first born daughter, first gen. And ever since then, it's just been a wild ride. You know, like grew up up in the typical South Asian household with strict parents and the same narrative we've heard over and over again. Mm -hmm. But I think things definitely changed for me when I started having conversations once I got to college, right? Because when I was in high school, I couldn't make progress with my parents at all. Yeah. But once I got to college and they saw that I didn't ever call them and I didn't miss them, honestly, like mm-hmm. they, their eyes kind of opened up. They're like, well, where did we go wrong? You know, but Whoa. anyway, that's the, that's the reason I keep emphasizing having a dialogue on my page. So I thought that was really important to include. Definitely. But, yeah. Um, I, so I, for undergrad, I went to Emory University and I studied neuroscience and behavioral biology. I was on a dance team for all four years, worked in a technology lab. So I worked with like 3D printers and stuff and a couple of mentorship programs for other first gen students, because I really wish that I had those college resources and all mm-hmm. these resources, because I think one of the drawbacks of being first gen is I feel like yeah. you have to navigate everything on your own, mm-hmm. right? At least like when I was applying to college, I had no mentor. I didn't have any resources. So it was scary. And once I got to college, I was like, there's this mentorship program. I want to partake in that. Like I want to provide other first geners with stuff that I wish I had had. Yeah. So it's very sleep deprived in college all the time. Very stressed. Didn't know what I wanted to do, Mm -hmm. but I was blessed with an internship the summer after I graduated where I went to Delhi and I taught English to Afghan refugees there. Mm -hmm. So what was great about that was that I had full authority. Like they just put me in the classroom. They're like, you know, this is your class. Like we don't have a curriculum to give you. We just like trust you that you'll teach them everything that you see fit, which was amazing because I didn't have to like, you know, forcefully teach them things I didn't want to. I wanted them to be able to communicate with people because in the long run, like, I don't feel like it's necessary for them to know how to use a semicolon. I'd rather them be able to communicate with someone like, where do I find the bathroom? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was amazing. And I was just so fulfilled and just so happy, even though the workdays were so strenuous because Mm -hmm. we would, I would leave at like 7am because there was traffic and we lived kind of far away from the educational center and I'd get there early. There was like a chai stand outside. So I'd have my chai because it was like the best chai I've ever had. Nice. It was, yeah, it was just so, it was tiring once mm-hmm. the day was over, right? I didn't really like have a lunch break. I could have, but I had mm-hmm. students coming to me, wanting to talk to me, like sharing their personal stories with me. And they came from trauma. 
like mm-hmm. bomb explosions in their backyard and like mental, you know, mental illness. And like, that's not something talked about in their culture. You don't oh, talk yeah. about mental illness because it's not a thing, you know, like Mm-mm. that's, that's like, they don't say I love you to each other. They don't express any kind of emotion to each other. And so it was amazing to me that they were coming forth to me and expressing their emotion to me. And something just clicked. And I was like, I feel like I was given this for a reason, right? Because there were only two spots from the US. And I was like, why did I get this? Like, there has to be some underlying reason. So I decided to pursue education. And in the back of my mind, ever since I was in fourth grade, Mm -hmm. I always wanted to be a teacher. But I feel like one of the things about coming from an immigrant family is that you've seen your family work so hard. And you want to almost like, compensate for that by making more money later on because I came from a very low socioeconomic background yeah we were not financially stable growing up at all so seeing that struggle seeing my parents struggle so much especially because they were undocumented at the time and people take no way yeah people take advantage of you which is one thing I wish people would recognize like it frustrates me when people are like they're taking your jobs a lot of times they're obligated to work like these contracts and stuff and work below minimum wage over like 60 hours and they just they're obligated to because otherwise people like threaten them that they're going to you know deport them so that was a very stressful situation growing up how long did that go on for until you guys either got status or like Um, for you to live and watch your parents go through that I don't know if you knew from the get-go like this was happening or this was like a realization that came on later on that my parents are like undocumented and they're working in these manipulative environments that deportation is like a threat on their right here yeah no I knew from a very young age like ever since we came from the U.S. you know my mom Mm -hmm. told me because I had to be careful about not telling other people right like I was kind of like molded on what I could and couldn't say to other people mm-hmm. because if somebody else were to find out, you know, you you don't know about people. You can't trust oh, yeah. anyone, I feel like. And so growing up at a very young age and just like being told all of these like traumatic events and being molded into what South Asian society expects from you at such mm-hmm. a young age, like that still stays with me. And I'm like trying to break through that. And that's why I like made one video about how, you know, when people say you're mature for your age, that's mm-hmm. not actually maturity. That's like trauma. Absolutely. You know? mm-hmm. that's, just, I told- that's just how I feel. No, for sure. And I like going back to what you were saying, it's like, oh, I'm Southeast Asian. So I have these, um, I love what you said in one of your, your videos. And I, I remember to write this down because I was like bawling. I was like laughing <laughs> on the floor. It was like tradition is peer pressure from dead people. And I was like, that is so true. So you already have these like traditions and customs that you're trying to abide by. And then you have a legal status attached to it. And you're being molded at, like you said, like a young age. How do you carry that pressure when you're so small, right? You're already trying to like emotionally, intellectually develop. And then you have like, hey, by the way, you can't talk about this while we're in the States. And also you need to follow like all these rules that are in addition to the regular rules you have to follow just to be alive. Yeah. Here, take that. It was, it was definitely a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. and because there was so much and because I felt like I couldn't talk about anything with anyone. Yeah. I was just the odd kid out, right? Like my parents were so strict in elementary, middle, and for a lot of high school, like I wasn't allowed to hang out with friends. Right. So who am I supposed to talk to anyway? 
-hmm. right? I couldn't really go to my parents because they were stressed enough. I had a younger Mm -hmm. sister. She didn't really understand all this and we kind of sheltered her from it Mm -hmm. a little more than I was exposed. So I really felt like I could just never talk to anyone. And I kept like questioning myself, why was I given this life? You know, I thought I was very, very isolated in this matter. Like the way my parents raised me, I thought I was just unfortunate and I was like, you know, special and blessed with this like unlucky parenting and crappy life. But after making these TikToks, I realized we all felt that way, or at least most of us felt that way. For sure. And um, I'm going to piggyback off of that. It's like being a therapist, this is my entire population. Everything that you've talked about in your TikToks is exactly almost to the T what we address in my sessions. I mean, the story looks a little bit different, but the underlying characteristics is literally the same, right? Which is so, so surprising. I want to go back to a comment you made. You said that in middle school, you didn't have anyone to hang out with or you weren't allowed to. Was that mainly because your parents were worried what you would say going there? Or was that more like a cultural thing that we don't, we don't hang out in middle school with other people or kids. You're too young to go to people's houses. I'm not sure. Yeah, it was definitely a cultural thing because my parents expected a lot from me even in elementary school, like they knew I was mature, right? Like I was very quiet and they expected me to be quiet, like in any situation. Mm -hmm. So they never feared that I would say anything because sixth grade, you think of like, oh, that's so young. You're like 10 or 11 or 12 around that time. Right. Mm -hmm. For me, I was treated like an adult at a very young age. So Mm -hmm. they weren't worried about any of that. It was definitely a cultural thing. They just, you know, they grew up not really having social lives and, coming to America where they don't know anybody, they just don't trust anyone. Mm -hmm. Just like living in this fear of you never know what might happen. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just, it was definitely a cultural thing. I just like, couldn't do anything. Like my dad was so strict. He wouldn't even let me put on nail polish until I got to high school, which Mm -hmm. was ridiculous. And his reason is that it'll distract me from my studies. The color you were just going to be like, oh my God, my nails. No. Yeah. Write something. No, the color. I mean, it was flawed logic and I hold it against him and he just, mm-hmm. he denies it. He's like, I never said that. Like I literally brought it up to him last week when I was, when my mom was forcing me to do my nails. Cause she's obsessed with me doing my nails. Cause now I'm like starting to adopt all these like more feminine traits. Mm-hmm. So I was like, look dad, I'm doing my nails. Are you going to get mad at me? And he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, remember you didn't let me put on nail polish growing up. Yeah. He's like, I never said that. I was like, yes, you did mom. Tell him. And she's like, yeah, you did. so there's like that either it's gaslighting or amnesia right like two things are playing a part it's like I never said that and I love how you kind of had a little dig at him too like are you gonna get mad at this are you gonna take (laughs) this away is this too distracting for you (laughs) but that's like super interesting I like to say you know another thing that you just said that you know you were quiet and that was a sign of maturity like isn't that interesting why Mm -hmm. is silence maturity I don't know what are your Uh, thoughts on that I mean, girls are supposed to be quiet, right? In South Asian society, they're meant to be seen and not heard. And so my parents told me, and like, I remember I was in third grade and my uncle came over and I was asking him questions about like his business because I was curious. And mm-hmm. my mom told me, you don't, don't ask questions to adults, right? I remember that so vividly because it was like, why? And my uncle went, no, no, it's okay. Let her know. And I was in third grade. And ever since then, it's been drilled in me. You don't ask questions to adults. Like you don't question their authority. You don't try to find out their background. Like you just don't question them, period. 
And so when that was drilled into me in third grade, I just never talked to anybody. Like in any regard, I was always just quiet and it ended up just me becoming socially awkward. So Mm -hmm. even now, like, I feel like it's with brown people that I struggle the most to talk to because outside of my home, I'm like a very different person. And I've been able to intertwine the two, but outside of the home, I was very like articulate with white people. I felt like I could hold on a conversation very well. As soon as you put me in a brown setting, it was like that South Asian mentality that suddenly came like washed over me. And I felt like I just couldn't talk to anyone. Like I felt like I had social anxiety when it came to talking to brown people. And I feel like I still do. Like really? approaching brown people is very, yeah, very difficult for me even now. Uh, that's like another layer of isolation, right? Like you relate, yeah. I don't know how much of the culture you do relate to. I mean, there is a large portion. You talk about it in your TikToks and you show it like, um, before you started talking about all the problems or some of the issues that you started to notice, I think the biggest thing was that you did kind of like hungra videos. Cause I like, wh- oh I went God. all the way down, <laughs> I was scrolling and I was like, wait, how far does this go exactly? And then it didn't start off like that. It started off as like just this cool sort of dancing and, you know, this, like, it was really cool to watch. So (laughs) interestingly enough, like that's not your original content. So when you talk about, you know, like I kind of struggle with the Southeast Asian like community and being able to like integrate with them, you do relate to the culture and it shows. And I wonder like, is it because, you're thinking of the, the uh, I'm just going to say the quote one more time. I just love it so much. The, that you feel the tradition of our dead ancestors constantly <laughs> looming over you. So you don't know how to function or is it like a constant fear of judgment too? Like if I act different from what they expect me to act like, am I already ostracizing myself in this community? Yeah. hundred percent the judgment. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that growing up, but my parents are completely different people now. Like I can say anything in the house and again that happened when I went off to college because when I went off to college my sister entered high school and when they saw that I just like never contacted them and I would live 20 minutes away from my university was 20 minutes away from home and I was very fortunate that they somehow allowed me to live on campus and didn't even ask me to come home unless I wanted to Mm -hmm. and they saw I never went home it was only for like obligatory breaks that I had to and I just was miserable anytime I did go home when they saw that they were like wait a second like we don't want this to happen to our younger child so they just Mm -hmm. became like the dream parents right like my sister was allowed to invite her boyfriend over to our house for dinner and that just blows my mind I was like what how how and even now my mom told me like yeah invite your boyfriend over for dinner and I feel uncomfortable doing that yeah because I'm still in that mindset that like my entire life don't talk to boys you know Mm -hmm. but they're okay with it now and so I don't really feel that pressure and judgment from them because mm-hmm. I feel like I can talk about anything with my mom now. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, except for like, there's certain things that you just don't talk to your parents about in general, <laughs> like whether whatever culture you're from. But for the most part, I don't feel that judgment from my parents. But no, I don't really feel that much judgment, period, about like what I talk about. There's a lot of, lot of hate on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Because again, women are supposed to be quiet, right? Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah, Unless, we're supposed to be quiet. <laughs> for sure. And like, I want to bring that conversation back to the platform, right? So it's so interesting how you kind of like, I would like to say exploded on that platform. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit more about how you went from like, you know, 
doing TikTok as a fun thing, putting up dance videos all of a sudden to like fight the patriarchy, Southeast Asian women empowerment. Like talk to me a little bit about that and what (laughs) made you think to speak out or I think that's the first part where where was that coming from where it was like oh okay like I want to talk about some of these things and I want to put it on like a social media platform yeah so the first video of mine that like even got more than 2,000 views was because 2,000 was like the max I ever got and that was when I was lucky right like I never got views when I was doing dance videos but I did Mm -hmm. them anyway because it was good exercise but then I was, I learned to dance to one of the WAP segments. Nice. And so I was, I just danced to it. But then I was like, you know what? I've had some realizations about South Asian culture. And so I was like, you know what? Let me put a couple words on here while I dance. So it's not just like me awkwardly dancing that nobody wants to see. And that video blew up. And I was like, wow. Like all I did was talk about some of the realizations I've had growing up in a South Asian household. And mm-hmm. that resonated with people. And then I made like another random skit. I was literally just doing homework and I was like, oh, I had this idea. Let me just do it. Right. And it was addressing how we're expected to change when we have, you know, male guests over. And Mm -hmm. by change, I mean, like, just go put on longer pants. Right. And it's like you're doing that because you're scared that they may look at us in a, you know, inappropriate way. But then why invite somebody into your house that you fear is going to look at your daughter in an inappropriate way. Like if you think that of them, why bring them into the house? Yeah. And that blew up. And I was like, what? I was like, okay, other people feel this way too. And yeah. I just like made another video and they slowly started blowing up. And I was like, I was in awe, right? Like I'm still, it's been like two months since I kind of blew up, but to me, it's still surreal, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't think of myself as, an influencer or some big, you know, or like, you know, some big person to me, I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm still in like the small 200 follower account, like, you know, but I noticed that the videos where I talked about things I was the most annoyed by were the ones that really did well because that Mm -hmm. resonated with people. And then when I started talking about things that I was always told not to talk about, that's when it really started resonating with people. And I was like, oh my God, we all had the same upbringing yeah and even like people from hispanic culture are commenting they're like literally every video is applicable to us too so mm-hmm. salvation and hispanic culture is the same and so many other areas like a lot of people from africa are saying this is literally african culture people mm-hmm. from other parts of asia are like it's not just south asia it's all of asia and yeah like, oh my god there's so many patterns and people are commenting this stuff and saying it resonates with them because nobody talks about it absolutely yeah and so that's what kind of like drives me and then getting messages from people saying that I helped make them feel less alone like that Mm -hmm. is so powerful for me you know and I it's just so flattering like people are just so kind yeah Mm -hmm. people are brutal in the comment section like (laughs) like absolutely horrible I feel like some boundaries have been crossed at times like one person on that video I made of marital rape told me that I was probably like a byproduct of that in my own house. And oh. like, this is some, yeah. And this is some of the hateful stuff I get, but like, it doesn't bother me because it is so extremely powerful knowing mm-hmm. that somebody else feels less alone by what you've said. Yeah. How can I let the negativity, why, you know, completely override this like po- powerful positivity. So, and I've also noticed that the videos I'm the most angry in are the ones that 
do really well, which is kind of, I mean, not totally confusing. I think it's just, you know, a lot of females being like, yes, girl, like yell it for us, like say it Mm -hmm. louder. Because I've taken like the softer approach where I'm like, you know what, maybe not, let's not be a little bit aggressive in this video, but that doesn't do as well. It's when I'm like really worked up about something that people are like, yes, you know? So I think I'm, when I'm making those videos, I'm like allowing people that space to be angry and be frustrated and just like let out their emotions. Yeah, because you're also being that way, right? You're being vulnerable. You're showing this, you know, like you said, women are like asked to be silent. Actually, they're not asked, they're demanded to be silent. Even when they're angry, they're told to, you know, compose themselves and then articulate something. Or, you know, like within a dead in silence, you're just supposed to always communicate and talk. So when you see someone who is not only making such relatable content, right? Because all of your videos are just something or another that hit, hits home for such yeah. a vast majority of the population. And they're not just watching you just like simply like talk. There's, there's an air of emotion to it. And like you said, it's allowing people to have an emotion and it's normalizing that, yes, women can get angry. You know, Mm -hmm. you can't expect our silence and demand this compliance when you're, you know, provoking us. And going back to that marital rape video, that was so controversial. And you have a lot of controversial topics. But I feel like the most recent one was that one. Like a lot of people had a reaction, but most of the people who do have reactions to your videos, they're men. Yep. Um, yep. I think there was another video you made regarding uh, about looking at other women and how, you know, we need to like how men need to be taught a certain way to not look at women versus having women constantly told how to dress. Another thing about sexualizing women and someone commented that the male biology is, you know, oh made God. to look and you responded to that. And I was like, is this person for real? Like he this person is literally saying that the male biology is almost deriving a person to have their eyes wander and look at women if they're not in a relationship with them because it's okay. It's a part of our biology and justifies it. Um, I thought that was ridiculous. Oh my God. (laughs) Some of the stuff, like some of the stuff I see on there, when I first started my, like when I first blew up, I started deleting all of the negative comments and like Mm -hmm. blocking people. But then I was like, no, like people need to see the reason I make these videos is because a huge population is in denial about this. Mm-hmm. So unless a video was just absolutely vulgar and like disgusting, I just left the negative comments. So people can see, you know, the reason we're angry is because we've been suppressed. And here's evidence to show a demographic that's trying to suppress us, mm-hmm. you know, and like stop us from talking. But yeah, that video, I was just like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> Oh my God. Uh, really and they just funny. hide behind their screen too with like zero followers and like, z- it's like a username one, two, three, four, X, Y, Z, L, M. Yeah. It's just like such a random, it's not, it's not someone who has a face, right? Because it's so easy to show so much hate. I want to yeah. talk more with you regarding, you know, the patriarchy and how much hate you get in your comments as well. But I think going a little bit further back, What made you, like, was there a specific moment when you knew that your experience was so relatable? You know, like when you were making the content and was there a moment where you were just like, yeah, like I need to talk about this. There's just something clicked for you. I don't know if it went like that, but what are your thoughts? 
Um, I think the biggest realization, which is kind of what started me, which, you know, helped me start this was that WAP video that did. It was the WAP video. (laughs) But even when you made that video, what prompted you to write those things? Right. So like, why was that even an idea? Where did that originate from? Yeah. So I started, I found some Instagram accounts um, about, you know, like, feminism and you know like the things that we face in South Asian culture there's something called like the Desi feminist the Indian feminist Mm -hmm. um you know like f patriarchy and I I was like yes like I'm resonating with this I was like you know what like what if people resonate with me too so Mm -hmm. you know over this dancing video I wanted to do let me just write some things that I've realized and Mm -hmm. everyone was like yes me too and I was like oh awesome (laughs) you know no, so for I started sure. thinking of, yeah, I started thinking of other things that like, what if people relate to this too? And people did. I'm like, oh, what if they relate to this too? This thing that I've never told anyone and people did. It was like, dang, all of us have been thinking the same things. We just never, we weren't ever allowed to express those things. Yeah. And I think another really interesting take is that you, you have a background in education right now, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to watch your videos and find you make mental health connections without like, cause you're not a licensed therapist or yeah. <laughs> you don't have any sort of backing in the mental health community, but you make such solid connections, you know, you're able to like, not at all, but you're able to make those connections and you're able to articulate it. Like, Hey, these are some patterns that our parents have, you know, they didn't know any better. And that's yeah. why we have to be the people who question these things and break these barriers. And you talk a lot about relationship health as well. Where do you get that information or, you know, how were you able to independently make those connections? Because you do sound like someone who's well-versed in the psychological community. So I'm so (laughs) curious. Um, Okay. As silly as this sounds when, you know, like that phase in middle school where all you want is just for like guys to like you um, or like girls to like you, like, there are these BuzzFeed quizzes, right? I, you know, take this quiz to see if your crush likes you mm. or like how to, you know, I literally wrote stuff like how to get a guy to like you, how to make friends, like what to talk about with people. And even though they were just like silly quizzes, there would be a little like little blurbs that would be like, you can tell a guy likes you because of these like behaviors. And yeah. they seem obvious now to us when we're older, but as like a 12 year old, you know, they're not so obvious. It's like, okay, I I should look for these behaviors to see if somebody likes me Mm -hmm. or like, how do you, how can you tell if somebody's not interested in talking to you, look for these behaviors. And so at such a young age, because I literally had no one to talk to, I would just read all the time and I would read these little blurbs. Yeah. And I also wasn't allowed to watch TV like that much in elementary school. So all I did was like read, which is why I feel like I'm able to articulate myself a little bit more because of all that reading. Mm -hmm. But the way I really was able to understand stuff, I feel like really started with those little quizzes. Like Mm -hmm. what kind of personality do you have? Or what kind of friendship do you have? All these random quizzes, because they were just so much fun for me. And with those little blurbs, I started like putting them together. And I was always like a huge empath because my mom told me everything, like all the abuse that was going on in our house and wow. our extended family. And she told me all of this in elementary school, right? Like she, she never hid anything from me. And so I always knew of the really twisted things that were going on. And yeah. she would always try to justify those things by giving me an alternative perspective. So when you see abuse and you're given justifications, 
like you start kind of trying to understand the abuser's mentality. And so oh wow, you just start like trying to understand other people's perspectives. And I feel like that's how I've always grown up. And I feel like that's why a lot of times I just like, you know, stay in like, well, did used to stay in like toxic relationships because I'm like, well, they're probably going through something, right? Like I want to be that friend that stays for them because they're Mm -hmm. just lashing out. And I get lashed out a lot, but like in my mind, I'm just like, you know, I've seen the abuser and they're probably going through a lot, which is why they're abusing. Maybe this friend is going through a lot. And so it was just constantly like trying to be there for people and thinking about other people's perspectives and like that was my entire life. And so now after reading like so many psychology articles for fun, because I love this stuff and like I have a book written by um, a former FBI agent about how to decode body language and like yeah. what that indicates. Mm-hmm. So just like reading all this stuff, I feel like it's just easy for me to make all these connections. It just like, I, I don't want to say it comes naturally, but it kind of does because all of the things I've been reading from such a young age, it's like all intertwined. It's all interconnected. Yeah. That's pretty awesome that you were able to, well, there are two, two ways to think about this, right? It's so awesome in a sense that you were able to like take the time to learn out of interest about all these things because you were being fed so much information, whether it was kind of the conversations you had with your mom and her talking about the abuse and you wanting to understand. And then there's another part where it was like, how much of that was also like inappropriate, right? that made you have to go into those. Let me think more about the abuser's side. Let me justify and make excuses for their behaviors because they've gone through so much. And I feel like that is such a repetitive rhetoric that is fed to women, right? Like it's kind of like, well, you know, your husband was so tired and, you know, don't question him when he comes back from work or when he wants to like spend some time alone. There's so much justification of either toxic or abusive behavior. And it's really interesting to watch you take the, Hey, I'm noticing these patterns and I'm going to call them out by understanding them, but then also switching it up and being like, Hey, this is what's happening. This is why it's happening. These are some good behaviors that we need to start adopting Mm -hmm. rather than being like, well, you know, our South, like you didn't use this as an excuse for the South Asian community. Yes. You yeah. used it to hold them accountable, which is very different, you know? Yeah, for sure. And people definitely don't like accountability at all. Ooh. As you can tell from all the men and some older women too. I it it just shows you how conditioned we are when it's older women telling me to stop talking. They're like, how can you say something so disrespectful? Whereas everyone else, all the people like middle age to younger are mm-hmm. siding with me or like agreeing with what I'm saying but all the older people and like literally every single male except for maybe a handful mm-hmm. are just telling me to like be quiet right because they don't like accountability and especially the one about marital rape some males like some name like Prakash and Rajesh like what else mm-hmm. do you expect they were just in denial they're like you don't know what you're talking about or they're yeah. like somebody commented well you know what else is a wife supposed to do then like you know if they don't want to do it with us like what do you do then like you have to force yourself I was like oh my god like oh my goodness it's just so frustrating some of the comments I see but yeah Mm -hmm. I what was the question again no I mean you're you're following your train of thought for sure um I think you were talking about the uh, accountability part of like how hard it is and they try to hold you accountable for not like not speaking against the community right and like your marital rape video was like 
it was guys coming up and being like, well, that doesn't happen. That's like, yeah. but you're not the, but you're not, it, you're not in the position of the person who would probably be taken advantage yeah. of in the situation. How do you know? Right. Consent is such a topic that is still not normalized in these communities that understanding being able to understand and talk about it is different it but it's like you can't get raped when you're married it doesn't work like that you know you want it at that point which is so interesting and I think this could also provide a great segue into going into how much you talk about the abuse southeast uh, Asian women face um in the community at the hands of a lot of the patriarchy that's already been established yeah yeah, I mean, it's, it's so disheartening to know some of the stuff our moms have gone through. And I definitely like vacillate with my opinions on this with, I have so much empathy and sympathy for my mom, you know, and mm-hmm. for so many of the women, because they were raised in this environment that was way more toxic than we were raised in and had all these pressures that they had to suffer through mm-hmm. quietly. And I feel like to an extent, it was way worse than what we're experiencing. So I go on that end where I kind of want to justify all of my mom's behaviors because she didn't know any better and because she had all this pressure. Yeah. I feel like a lot of South Asian moms have this pressure and that's why they behave the way they do. And so it shows me like, yeah, I have a soft spot for that for South Asian women. But at the same time, I get this frustration, like, if you're a South Asian woman and you've experienced abuse and you know this was wrong, why are you still perpetuating that onto your kids? Like you have that choice of choosing to treat your kids in a way that you knew was wrong. It's almost like they want you to suffer as well, right? And I, I go back and forth between this because I want them to be held accountable, but I also understand why they did it. And I make videos about both. And it's usually the ones with people who are just angry at their parents and angry at their moms that a lot of people are like, yes, you know, our parents did abuse us. And, and I think that I had it very, very good compared to some of the stories I've seen on mm-hmm. TikTok. But that also doesn't, you know, undermine the experiences I've had. I just, feel, I just feel so bad for South Asian women. The things they've had to endure just break mm-hmm. my heart. Absolutely. Can you talk about some of like, you've said there's certain abusive traits that our parents might carry over onto us can you like explicitly talk about some of the main ones you've seen or the ones that you feel are predominantly passed on to like the next generation and the trauma that comes with it right because it's not just you know hey our parents took it for us and life was shitty and hard and everything sucks it's kind of like our life was shitty let me talk to you about my shitty life also have this shitty life and deal with it okay yeah, so some of the very misogynistic ideas, mm-hmm. you know, like the ideals that women have to, you know, portray, like you have to stay quiet, you know, or you're met with aggression or like how physical abuse is just discipline. And it's like mm-hmm. looking back now, a lot of us joke about it, but at the mm-hmm. same time, we know it's wrong. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like physical abuse, um, just not questioning authority, like d- growing up in a very judgmental space where everyone was just talked about like poorly right and comparisons between people it's like our parents all the older generations were brought up in this and they probably didn't feel good to them when they were kids Mm -hmm. right like they don't they probably didn't like being compared they probably didn't like being beat they probably didn't like being told that you have to like especially for for women make sure you're covering every part of your body like they probably didn't like the stuff growing up 
so why are they putting that on us now what like what what makes you think that we're gonna like this stuff and Mm -hmm. I do I do think that there's a lot of pressure for example mother-in-laws you know not all of them Mm -hmm. but for the most part there's a really just bad stigma around mother-in-laws and they I've noticed that like even if my mom wanted to break out of that cycle mm-hmm. she was being held on she was being pulled back by mm-hmm. her mother-in-law and it that's what makes me so sad because I saw my mom trying and I feel like a lot of moms try in the South Asian community but because of the husband or because of the husband's side of the family or the mother-in-law they're pulled back into that cycle mm-hmm. to make sure that their kids are also in that cycle Mm-hmm. It's almost it's almost as though I feel like some women felt like because they endured pain, they're they have all this resentment and they feel like they want to inflict pain onto other people. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. feel like this shows up in the most subtle ways and even us, right? Like my sister, for example, she had almost no restrictions in high school. Small things like being told no you can't go on this trip brought me just a tiny bit of joy, you know? It sounds kind of it sounds terrible, but it's like, ha, huh, finally, you don't, you don't have that freedom mm-hmm. that I didn't have my entire life. And that's so subtle. But if you expand that and apply it to South Asian culture, that's basically how it is. It's all this resentment that people are now inflicting onto mm-hmm. other people and aren't letting them come out of this cycle. Yeah. There's so much truth in that because, um, uh, my modality is like psychodynamic psychotherapy, right? So it's a little bit of Freud stuff, not the Freud part where he thinks like everybody wants a penis, but um, the other stuff where he was like, the things that we hate in other people are a projection of the things that we wish we had in ourselves. And I can definitely see that so much, especially when you look at, you know, the Southeast Asian community that's abroad versus that's in their home country. There's always like this back and forth resentment going on. It's like a resentment war. It's like, well, you probably are making more than I am in Southeast, uh, in like Pakistan or India. And like the Indian and the Pakistani kids are like, oh, well, we have it good here because we have like the maids and the drivers and we have a better lifestyle. And then you are met over here with like, hey, I'm still in the States, but I don't have any of the freedom that they have. Right. Yes. And I think that says something about how far our parents or like the immigrant generation that's the boomer generation goes to preserve the cultural identity. Anything different than what they've learned is a threat to dismantle the foundation of what our culture is based off of. And that can destroy you as a person. I think that's why a lot of people right now, and especially the political environment in the United States is so weird is because people are like, what is happening? This was never talked about. There's so much (laughs) tension. Yeah. And it's because everything everyone's ever known is starting to dismantle. Hey, you know, the fact that the States isn't the greatest country in the world. It just had really good PR, you know, <laughs> that was basically what it was. Um, identity and threat to identity keeps us locked in our intergenerational traumas. At least that's what I feel like and I've seen. Yeah. And, you know, you talk a lot about the long-term effects of childhood abuse, right? So you talked about the subtlety and like, you know, you wanting other people to understand it, but what other things have you seen originate since you're kind of not a kid anymore, but you feel like there is some sort of childhood PTSD following you around? Um, low self-esteem issues for sure. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I have worked through that and I really like who I am, right? Like 
I'm, I'm, yeah, I like who you are too. If that makes any home, you know, you're, you're super dope. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate that. I feel like I've made a lot of growth, but I know that that was very difficult for me. And I was given some privileges that other people still don't have. So I feel like a lot, a lot of other people still struggle with their identity and finding their voice because most of our lives we were told you can't have a voice. So I feel like some of the things that few people feel are insecurities about themselves. Like they'll never be good enough mm-hmm. because in our, in our parents' eyes, we would just mess up. Like everything we did was disrespectful, right? Mm-hmm. So growing up, being told you're constantly disrespectful for like mm-hmm. saying your opinion. So then later on in life, you don't want to share your opinion because you're so conditioned to think that you're pe- that anybody's just going to yell at you if you share your opinion or it's mm-hmm. not going to be met with receptivity mm-hmm. because your opinions were never met with receptivity in your own house. Ooh, that's um, a really good point because what you mentioned earlier, right? You were like, I was treated like an adult, so I had to act like an adult. But then there's yeah. this like kind of duality where it's like, but you're a kid, so your opinion doesn't really va- yeah, have any yeah, merit. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, what? I'm confused now. I thought <laughs> I was an adult. That's why my parents share these problems with me. And we have such serious conversation about our immigrant status. But at the same time, if I'm voicing something or I want to talk about something, my opinion is invalidated because I'm not an adult. Yep. Even though I'm probably in my 20s at this point. Uh, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's just that that's why there's so much confusion. And, you know, terms like ABCD come out, which is meant like it sounds like, haha, that's so funny. But in reality, like, I feel like that's it kind of applies to a lot of us because we want to hold on to our Desi side and our cultural side, but we also want to like blend into American culture or at least with the people around us, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't want to feel like pariahs and it feels so easy to feel like a pariah based on how our parents raised us in our houses. Mm-hmm. Because like, how do you explain to your friends? Um, no, I had fun. Like, you know, I, I hung out with you this weekend, so I can't hang out with anyone for like the next month. Right. Like, how do you mm-hmm. explain that to somebody? And just so many things oh my goodness just so many things that they've done I feel like it's impossible to like escape it's not impossible because I feel like I've escaped from a lot of it but it's very difficult to break Mm -hmm. out of that mindset of feeling like well maybe if I say something maybe people won't be dismissive because I feel like a lot of times when we said stuff it was dismissed or -hmm. it's like you know not every conversation is gonna end up in an argument or like into a fight and then maybe I'm not gonna cry after every argument because with mature people they actually listen to what you have to say. They're mm-hmm. actually willing to have a dialogue. And I can't say our parents were always willing to have it. I don't think they ever were willing to have a dialogue. It's like, this is what you're going to do. Don't question us. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's why there's just so many self-esteem issues and so many mental health issues. And I've seen from a lot of comments, people, like a lot of people saying that I felt depressed, you know, like mm-hmm. I want to, you know, commit suicide and my parents just don't care because mm-hmm. they're like depression isn't a thing like you're fine like we went through more things you live in America you have such a great life you're fine so constant feeling like you're invalidated and that your mm-hmm. struggles just don't matter and yeah. that is just so messed up because if you grow up with a life feeling like you your opinion doesn't matter that anytime you talk it's going to end up in an argument that you're feeling that you know your pain is completely invalid you just feel like what am I doing on this planet like why am I here nobody cares you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think this ties into one of the other videos you made where it was like, you know, 
you were kind of addressing how people say that brown kids are just so brown. And you, I remember how you phrased it. It was kind of like, well, we're not allowed to have our own thoughts and opinions. Every thought and opinion is based off of the brown community. And the only time we are validated is inside that community. So of course we're going to be brown. You know, we're not going to be assimilated well. We're going to be in that bubble and we're going to act in a certain type of way. But that's also showing how much backlash we get from trying to establish an identity. Because how many of your comments even are like, well, you're just so westernized. Well, oh my God, this girl is so like whitewashed and she wants rights. Just like, yeah, I get that. I get that a lot. They're like, like self-loathing, like just all these things about being whitewashed and oh, you know, you know, like have the white have the Americans like picked you yet? And I'm just like, what? What? Like, yeah, trying to be American. <laughs> but it's almost taken as an insult that oh, it's a westernized concept yeah. rather than no, exactly. these are civil rights. Exactly. You know exactly. And, and then it's almost used as a tool to invalidate your ethnic background. It's like you sit in this confusion and like, again, going back to like my clients, it's that state of not knowing like. Well, they're telling me I'm too westernized, but I have roots in my culture. So what am I? Am I this westernized version of what brownness is supposed to look like? Or am I still like Southeast Asian and assimilated American or Mm -hmm. wherever you are? It's such a it's such a conflict then. How far can you assimilate or are you allowed to be, you know, yourself? Yeah, I feel like that's why I do have like two identities. I definitely feel like I have two personalities, right? Really? And yeah, and I feel like I know that people are going to have an issue with this, but I still go by like an an American pronunciation. And I know people say you should own up to your roots, like your parents gave you this name and you should acknowledge it and be proud. I 100% get that. I don't appreciate the judgment some people have when I say that, so I just don't say it. But the reason I do that is because I did not appreciate the South Asian lifestyle that I had and the upbringing mm-hmm. I had and what I, what I could and couldn't talk about. Yeah. When I was my American version, I felt like I could have a conversation so easily with people because suddenly I was out of this bubble. Because now I'm noticing that, wow, you know, as a kid, Americans talk, can talk about anything. Like they want yeah. to know about my day. They want to know about like what I'm eating or at least the teachers did. That's why I was so, you know, fond of the teachers. Yeah. So I, I just felt like I had two different identities. One where I was in school with American people mm-hmm. and I had teachers who actually wanted to hear what I had to say, like in language arts class, when I would talk about the books I read, like for our book talks, mm-hmm. my teacher would always be like, wow, like, tell me more. I'm like, what, you want to hear what I have to say? Mm-hmm. And I slowly started adapting to that. Like, that's why I feel like I get so anxious when I have to be in a group of brown people mm-hmm. because of that personality, that personality being told, don't talk, yeah. don't question, and mm-hmm. having like that social anxiety. And then with my American pronunciation and my American personality, I have no issue going into a room full of like people I don't know and just talking to them. Yeah. And that's how I made friends in university. Like after I was ostracized from this brown group my first semester. Of really? Year, yeah, it was it was really heartbreaking because I thought like th- this is why I I struggle also with like the whole, you know, girls are mean to each other but they're not and you have to find the right girl group. Yeah. Like I'm not trying to bring, you know, gender into this at all, but it was definitely heartbreaking because I definitely connected with these brown girls, but all of a sudden 
it was like the typical like talking about you and just completely ghosting and so I found myself having no friends because I'd invested all my energy and all my time into these two brown girls Mm -hmm. but you know second semester I was like I'm a freshman like this is my time in university to do what I want to do to make friends so I literally went to this one event by myself and yeah I was sweating bullets I was Uh terrified but I went there and I just you know struck up a conversation and people were willing to talk Mm-hmm. And whenever it came to approaching a brown person, I, ju- I would just try not to because mm-hmm. I would just be in that mindset of growing up with brown people who were so judgy. Like I was never part of a brown girl group in my religious yeah. life because, you know, I hope none of them listened to this, but they were all very self-centered, very focused on guys, just very obsessed with drama and like gossip. And so I never fit in ever. God, it's and a way you're telling me that at the religious center, they were like more obsessed with guys than God. No, yeah. <laughs> joking. I don't believe yeah. that. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, I totally believe that. But you know what you're saying is just, it sounds like there's still a part of you that has a little bit of resentment and resentment in the community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely do. And I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm trying, mm-hmm. which is why I still make efforts to talk to brown people. I'm not completely shut off, which is why I make the videos, right? Mm-hmm. Like I want to get rid of that resentment. Mm-hmm. I want to make progress. But my entire upbringing, like mm-hmm. in my religious center, the only brown people I was exposed to were clicky and talk yeah. about people. And even the guys were immature. Like the typical immature Desi boy was were all the guys that I went to religious classes with, right? Mm-hmm. And it was so shallow and just being raised with all of that. Like I'm still struggling to get out of that mentality and be like, you know, not all brown people suck. And I see that now because my closest group of friends in college towards senior year was a group of brown people. And it was typically the brown guys. So my best, like my boyfriend is my best friend. He's brown. You know, my best friend who lives with my boyfriend, which is perfect. He's brown. Yeah. So I know that not all brown people suck. Like that's just, (laughs) that's a given. Not every single person sucks in a demographic, but it's like finding those people. How do I get out of that mindset of resentment? And I'm still pushing myself, right? Yeah, yeah, but that's where like that personality thing comes in. I just feel like I have two different personalities Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm kind of okay with that because if I combine my American personality with Desi people, oh, she's a coconut, you know, she's a whitewash. Like she thinks she's all that. Yeah. But it's like, I don't think, you know, I'm not arrogant, but I do think highly of myself. And they don't like that. The basic people, especially the guys, do not like that. They can't come to terms with it. So that's why I just hold on to my two personalities. I'm I'm content with that. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm perfectly happy. (laughs) It works for me. That's awesome, though, that you were able to come to that place where it sounds like you found people who were willing to have those tough conversations, right? Who are willing to kind of look at the, it's called, it's internalized racism we have towards our own community because oh, yeah. we got so much backlash from the community of being different. And I'll be super transparent when I went to college, which was a minute ago. Um, that was the biggest conflict I had where I thought any amount of assimilation I'm going to do, if I'm going to go and join this group, that's not about my people or my culture or my faith. I'm I'm betraying everyone. I'm betraying my mom. I'm betraying my family. I'm betraying my culture. I'm betraying all of my identity. If I find happiness in things that don't have anything to do with the core cultural competence I was taught, 
I am going to forget myself. I'm going to forget who I was. And I'm going to turn into this person who's not going to care about anything and be so individualistic. And then all these years later, when I look back, it's like, I needed that. I needed to be a little bit more individualistic. I needed to think a little bit more about myself because my community and my culture conditioned me to think of everyone else besides myself. And it was a self-sacrifice that was so harmful, you know, and it was just it was something that you have to come to terms with your own therapy <laughs> and just realizing what it means to have that harmony, right? Where you don't feel a sense of guilt and a sense of shame where it's like, I am different. I like to read different books. I'm not repping the, the aesthetic, but I'm still me and I'm still connected in the way that I find comfortable and it's enough. Yeah. I don't know, but I yeah. felt like that was a little bit of a parallel to your story, but, um, Going back to the, so we've talked a little bit about the parents um, and like the boomer generation, right? Let's go back into like our generation and all like the Desi boy patriarchy hate you get. <laughs> so let's, let's revisit that conversation. And, you know, how do you find yourself navigating through that? Right. Cause you talk about it, but you also face it within your own like comments. And I know you said that you tend to keep comments up and it's like, these people just kind of want to control women but let's talk about it on a more like broader range like how do you feel about the patriarchy in our community and how have you been like either personally fighting it or I see you fighting it within your TikTok videos so yeah it is so frustrating because people are just so in denial and it bothers me when I make a video on any video and there are hundreds and even sometimes even thousands of people saying, I relate to this or like, yeah, this guy's done this mm-hmm. to me. Like, you know, the marital rape video, some women were like, I didn't, it took years for me to realize that this happened to me, you know, yeah. like in every video I do, there are hundreds of girls saying, I relate to this or like, mm-hmm. I've had this experience with men and men will choose to ignore the hundreds and thousands of comments and say this only happens in your household or like speak for your family because you grew up in an abused family I'm just yeah you're ignoring the hundreds and thousands of people like that's why it even bothers me when older women do this they're like this only happens in your house I'm like are you really gonna ignore like the hundred thousand people who like this video or like the 10 or like the five thousand people who are commenting the same thing are you really gonna ignore that it's just that oblivion I feel like men And some older women live in this bubble and they are refusing to come out of this bubble and they're choosing a life of ignorance. Mm -hmm. And honestly, we're just kind of waiting for them to just get so old to the point where our generation is like, no, we're going to implement this behavior. We're going to like adopt, we're going to change your culture for the better. Because a a misconception is that like, I hate my culture. I get this all the time. Oh, yeah. And I think you made a video about that, too, where you were yeah. like, I don't hate it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, I feel like so many of us, like, grapple with that. I The most frustrating part about the men, and sometimes even boys, you know, are, like, my age, which is just the most irritating thing, because yeah. I'm constantly saying that we need to be the ones to end the cycle, but you're literally perpetuating what our dads have done, which sucks, but they just choose to be quiet and live in ignorance because they benefit from it. They benefit Mm -hmm. from our patriarchal system and why the heck would they question it? 
if they benefit from it. Because as soon as they start to question it, as soon as they want equality, they know that a lot of the privileges they have, like, aren't going to be so special anymore, you know, and it gives, they have so much power Mm -hmm. in choosing to continue to oppress South Asian girls, right? Like, even just insulting, like, guys my age, or actually younger, not my age too, Mm -hmm. they will insult girls because it gives them power and it's always brown girls they're insulting right they'll insult their like facial hair or like their body type or literally anything yeah and they do that because it gives them power Mm -hmm. because they've seen their dads do that and they're like oh our dad has the power let me do that too Mm -hmm. and then when a woman calls them out it just doesn't sit well with them because now you're holding them accountable and they're like no we've never seen our dads be accountable like being held accountable we're not going to be we're not going to start this or they're like mama's boys right like they've been like conditioned to believe they're like god's gift on earth yeah that's another thing that's reoccurring where it's like they could do no wrong and you know we're going to get you this and we're going to do that and we're going to get you a great wife and you know it's going to be awesome and it's only these like people who feel the need to police these female creators these southeast asian female creators you know on their platforms they're policing you like stop this you don't know what you're talking about and I wonder why they feel like they have to control it so much but I think you hit it right on the head where it's like it's power Mm -hmm. like cover yourself like your family would be ashamed of you why do you hate your culture if you hate it so much why don't you leave it it's so much anger yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it really is it's just unnecessary it it's like I've moved I've moved on from it like Mm -hmm. it doesn't bother me when people say things to me unless it's you know an attack on my parents or something because it's like I you know freaking love my parents no matter what they've done they've come around and they have done a lot for me and because I have that relationship with them I understand their perspective so you can say anything you want about me and it's always the men trashing me like anything about me it doesn't it doesn't bother me because I'm like this is just how men are Mm -hmm. and they question why women say men all men are trash Mm -hmm. right And there are a handful of guys on my page who've supported me since the beginning. Wow. Like every, yeah, there's this one, I wish I could remember the name of the account, but almost every video I've made, he's a male, he's like a dad. And he, yeah, which is the part that I love. He is a dad. And when I, he talks about like equality and he's like, I love that you're saying this. Like, we need to learn more from you. Like I raised my son to be this way because I see the injustices and I'm like, there's a little like sliver of hope. You That's know? so awesome. That's so sweet. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Man. He could yeah. be like all of our dad. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there is a little bit good out there. And I love to see guys who are supportive. Mm-hmm. And I make an effort. I make an effort. Like every comment I see of a male supporting what I'm saying, I make an effort to respond to them and like to thank them. And I know it's the bare minimum to want equality, but like you still want to appreciate them just because I do. I appreciate that. So I might as well tell them because it takes yeah. like nothing from me. Yeah. And hope yeah, and hopefully appreciating them will encourage them to, you know, make sure that they fight for equality. And if they see how appreciate if other guys see how appreciative I am, that may encourage them a tiny bit. Like, you know, maybe we should start speaking up against our dads when they're like belittling our moms or something. Yeah. And it's interesting, right? Where it's like I don't know if you've come across this as much or have noticed this, not just on your platform, like in the 
in kind of the community in general, which is like, you know, there are some men who just love independent women. They love the independence and they love like that. They're so strong and bold up until the point that they get married to them. Then it's like, okay, I liked what I saw in the beginning and it was super cool. But like now, you know, you're like a wife. I need you to like change it up to, to the OG version of South Asian woman and cultural duties. Have you seen any of that? I haven't seen too. I feel like it's just on, there's like a spectrum and people are on polar mm-hmm. opposites. I haven't seen that many men saying that they like an independent woman. Mm-hmm. I see people saying like, you're so right. Like we need to do better. And then I see people saying, shut up. But Ooh. I do agree that a lot of, a lot of men like, like this independence and like how much, a, how confident and bold a woman is. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, yeah, you're right. You're totally right. Like you're my wife now. Like, are you going to cook for me? Why aren't you cooking for me? Mm-hmm. It's like, and I've seen like these little memes or like little comics of the gender roles being reversed, right? Like how women are told, you know, if you don't know how to cook, how are you going to feed your husband? And then the comic is reversed and it's like telling a guy, if you don't know how to cook, how are you going to feed your wife? And that hits Mm -hmm. different. It hits so different. I'm just like, oh my God. Like even internally, I I felt this like weirdness where I'm just like, oh my God. Like what if we did say that to guys? Yeah. Yeah. I I haven't seen that, but I'm sure like it exists. Mm -hmm. It's just opposite. It's like support or hate. Yeah. Right. You can't get the best of both worlds. Another topic, well, there are two things I've noticed. You also like recently took a stance on like how our community treats the LGBTQ community, which was an awesome yeah. video, super out there, loved it. <laughs> and then you. I wanted to know like your thoughts on, because I think that this was the first time on your platform, you kind of like talked about it and like what prompted that? Yeah. So it's just another sensitive topic, right? Mm-hmm. Like to me, it's, I don't feel like talking about LGBTQ is is like this wow thing because it's a topic that should already be discussed, just like marital rape should be discussed, just like, you know, mother-in-law abuse. Like these are all problems. Mm-hmm. And I just think they all need to be discussed. And I know some people wanted me to as well. And I was like, you're right, this is an issue. Like, I don't know why we need to be even discussing whether or not like a human gets rights. So I'm like, you know what? Yeah, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. So- I think I just, I try to provide a validation for a lot of people and mm-hmm. a big following of mine are people from the LGBTQ community. Yeah. And I was like, well, I want to validate you too. Like that's I awesome. want you here and I appreciate you too. Mm-hmm. So no, that's and people are like, awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did this one live and somebody was like, well, what do you think about the LGBTQ community? And I was like, well, what about them? Like, what, what do you want me to say? Like they're, they're humans. Do you ask me, what do I think about girls? Or like, do you ask me what I think about like American? Like you wouldn't ask me those questions, right? Because they're just humans. So what's yeah. there to really talk about? But mm-hmm. yeah, there's definitely a lot of homophobia in our culture, like a lot. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted people to feel validated and to know that, you know, I support you and that we should all be supporting you. Mm-hmm. Are there any particular topics that, you know, you felt like you couldn't really like you kind of second guess yourself before you make a video or you even start talking about, um, because like I said, you know, some of the topics are pretty controversial. Nobody, not nobody, but sometimes, you know, the population has such a drastic response so quick 
where they kind of invalidate the effort. Cause I've seen that happen on a lot of platforms where it's like, Oh, you know, like maybe I should take this video down or maybe I shouldn't talk about this because the hate is so immense and they're not ready for this yet. So are there any particular topics that you've been like waiting or you're kind of curating to talk about to kind of put it out in a more palatable way or I don't know. Yeah. Um, in terms of which videos I, you know, considered taking down, if you were to go on my account, any video that has more than 100k views mm -hmm. are the ones that I was most hesitant about. Like the Mary really? Rape one has over, yeah, because they did well because I was hesitant because we're not supposed to talk about it. Wow. Because I'm like, crap, I don't know how people are going to respond to this. Like, this is really sensitive or like this is really controversial. And it ends up being those videos that I'm so scared of posting that end up blowing up. So, and yeah, because the Meryl Rape one had over 200K views. The one about, there's one video I made about all the topics we can't talk about. That mm -hmm. got 700K views, right? Mm -hmm. Like one where I was talking about mother-in-law abuse. That's mm -hmm. almost at 200K views. All of those things were things I was like, oh my God, you know, like, I don't know if this is going to go well. Mm -hmm. I know I'm going to get hate, which I do, but mm -hmm. it's usually those videos. Yeah. Which which also makes sense, right? Because they're I'm so hesitant because they're so sensitive because I've always been told don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about it. And other people who've been told don't talk about it are like, yes, let's mm -hmm. talk about it. That's awesome. <laughs> no, absolutely. It shows, you know, when we have a certain a certain level of hesitation in regards to topic, it resonates the strongest with people because of like, again, I feel like the theme of this particular um conversation has been silencing and being silenced um I do want to say one thing though I've noticed like there you don't tend to talk about religion your yeah, religious no. affiliation or any other sort of religiousness and I wonder why because I, I wanted to see if that's another like hesitation but what are your thoughts on that like why is that a topic that you don't touch or you kind of don't even view the Southeast Asian um community with that one particular lens right like everything is very generalized within the community and the culture but the religious part of it because there are so many religions in it as well um and I don't want to assume if you are religious or have a religion but I want to know why you kind of cut that from the narrative in my opinion I feel like religion is so divisive it is in my opinion I feel like it's the uh -huh. root of a lot of issues mm -hmm. and a lot of the hate that we see, I feel like derives from religion. I just, I know it was meant to, for unification for certain groups. Yeah. But I feel like it's been more divisive. And like, if you look in like Islam, for example, there are so many different sects and mm -hmm. each sect is so adamant that they're the ones that are correct. And there's yeah. a lot of hatred, like a huge reason that I very, I feel very strongly about this is because my students from Afghanistan, the bombings were like meant for my sect of Islam. They yeah. were targeting them because wow. my sect of Islam is considered to be like, we're not considered to be real Muslims because we yeah. have different, um, like different beliefs and like we don't have as many restrictions or like, you know, just completely different ideas. And because a huge part of Afghanistan is one sect of Islam, they didn't like that. And so they were bombing them. Like, you're going to be so, we're all the same religion, but because you don't believe we're from the same religion, you're going to kill people. Yeah. And that just doesn't sit well with me. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, if I were to talk about like Hinduism, people would get offended and say, well, you're not even Hindu. How can you talk about it? Yeah. I don't want to talk about Islam because everybody has a different viewpoint, right? There's like, I feel like hundreds of thousands of translations of the Quran. Yeah. And if I were to say one, people are going to get all mad and say, well, you know, you don't know about this. And I've never read the Quran, nor do I. I've read some translations and yeah. I've noticed that different translations interpret like one verse a different way. Yeah. And it's just too divisive it causes so much hate and I'm like we already are going through so much abuse and so many issues as it is as a South Asian community Mm -hmm. bringing religion is just going to divide us and if I talk about Islam it's going to definitely alert the Muslim community and come at me the haram police is going to come after you so it's not just the Desi boys now it's like the haram police exactly and I just I just think that's unnecessary and you know I if I do talk about Islam then the people who identify with the different religion will feel like I can't really re- relate to her content anymore. Mm-hmm. And if I just talk about the issues in the community in general, regardless of your religion, whether even if you're Christian or, you know, Buddhist, whatever you are, you feel like in that moment on this comment section, like I'm unified with everyone. So if I can provide like unification across the board, regardless of like race or gender or religion, why would I want to threaten that by beginning to dive deeper into something as sensitive as religion? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that makes so much sense because from what I'm hearing from you is that it just adds a layer of distraction because then it just starts, it doesn't. And this is what I've noticed with like other creators who are either like Muslim, it takes away from the conversation completely almost. It's like, people are so focused on, well, this isn't what this means. And this isn't what this means. And you're already going to get that, but it takes away from the bigger topics that are being discussed. And I think a lot of times when religious come, a religion comes into play, people, when they defend it, they defend it like, well, it's not a religious matter. It's a cultural matter. And to a degree, like, you know, it is, it's some, it's some of both. Um, so I understand because I, I was noticing that while I was like going through, you know, doing my, my research, AKA stalking, it was like, you make an effort to stay away from that. And I saw it, which was super interesting. Yeah. And that's another, that's like a whole other reason I do get some like hate or at least some pushback because if I talk about like a cultural issue, I'll be told Mm -hmm. it's a religious issue. But then if I talk about Another cultural issue, people will say it's the old mindset, don't blame the culture. And there's just honestly no winning, right? Like Mm -hmm. if I talk about South Asians, people will say, well, you know, it's not just South Asia, it's Asia. It's like, you know, in the Philippines or it's in Africa, like, you know, you're not special. And then when I talk about immigrants as a whole, they're like, speak for yourself. You're not part of our culture, go back to South Asia. And it's like, there's literally no winning no matter what I say. So I'm like, you know what? Let me just ask myself, what I'm most comfortable with putting out there. So you, you just have to be very careful. And one people I wish, one thing I wish people would realize is that social institutions are part of culture. Mm-hmm. When people say like, oh, why do you hate your culture? That's all just the mentality. The mentality is embedded in the culture. So yes, you, you know, when people think of culture, they think of food, they think of like outfits and you know, festivals to think of all the good stuff, mm-hmm. but all the bad stuff is in the culture too. They mm-hmm. are all together. And when people say, you know, like, what do you even like about your culture? Which I did address in one video. I said, you know, I started off by saying, I like the classical dancing, the food, the outfits. And then I also talked about 
values that Salvation culture prides in, but mm-hmm. like the underlying problems with them. Like we love to say we're family oriented, right? Mm-hmm. But we ignore all the emotional abuse. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. We love to say that, oh, Indian women are beautiful or like South Asian women are beautiful. But, you know, the underlying thing is that as long as they're light skinned and thin. Yeah. To say like, we're, you know, such a tight knit community and no matter what, we're family for each other. But like the underlying thing is, you know, they can literally destroy your life. They can hate you. They can absolutely resent you. But we just, for the sake of blood, we just have to stay together. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, if someone's outside of the community or if someone, you know, you, if you have like a tiff with anybody within the community and if they have enough power, they can completely ostracize you and remove you from- you know, cultural uh, festivities, religious festivities, you know, this could cause a problem with someone even getting married, you know, and going back to like the marriage thing, which is another, I just keep referring like all the videos. Um, (laughs) At this point, you probably feel like I memorized all of them. (laughs) There was like one solid day. Yeah, right. There was like one solid day where I was like, I'm just going to be on TikTok. I'm going to like word for word go over all of Kainat's videos and I'm just going to memorize it and I'm going to internalize it. <laughs> this is what this is. This is what it's a part of. But um, you talked about, you talked about arranged marriages in a very gentle light. I have not yeah. seen that before. Cause I would expect from you where it would be like, you know, our arranged marriage is another system of control, but you got a lot of gentleness in that conversation where it was like, just because it's arranged doesn't mean it's void of love. You know, that's also all right. I don't know. I thought that was really cool. Thank you. Um, The reason I made that video is because I, I'm like very just, I have a soft spot for other women in Mm -hmm. pain. And I saw some women saying in like previous videos that, you know, there's such a stigma around arranged marriage and it kind of bothers them because they think I was forced, even though I wasn't, could you make a video about this? And I'm like, you know what? I, I don't know how I feel about arranged marriage because for the most part, mm-hmm. I feel like it's been pretty controlling. And I feel like a lot of times it's forced. And I think in Western countries, we have that privilege of it now not being forced. And of us, of our parents choosing for us, like that's a privilege mm-hmm. now because we live in the US or Canada or wherever. In India, I wish people would realize that just because they come from a big city like Mumbai or Delhi or you know whatever big city they're in this other mindset that like you know arranged marriages are voluntary they have these all western ideals but they're I don't know why they don't realize that all of like most of India is still structured in a different way Mm -hmm. and forced marriages is still very much a thing right like I watch some Indian crime shows that they you know, look at like actual crimes that happen, actual murders and deaths, and they show how it happened. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is just around rape and forced marriage. And I feel like because I live in the U.S., I also want to acknowledge that because, like in the U.S., it's not always forced. Yeah. You know, most of the times I feel like in the U.S., it's not forced. But I just wanted to like make one video that wasn't super controversial. <laughs> and that wasn't going to get me so much hate because it can be exhausting you know like it oh yeah it doesn't bother me but I'm just like oh my god not again it can tire me a little bit mm-hmm. and I was like let me just make one video where I approach it in like a compassionate way provide some reassurance for people who mm-hmm. are in arranged marriages that they're willing to be in um 
but there's definitely a difference between arranged marriage and forced marriage. And I feel like a lot of times arranged marriage is forced marriage. Not all, not all the time, mm-hmm. but a lot of times it is. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a beautiful way to put it, that there is a difference between arranged and forced and that this is a larger conversation because we don't want to take away from places in the world that still practice it. But also there is a distinction and that not every arranged marriage, someone's kicking and screaming and trying to escape their husbands. Sometimes it's just more comfort. I feel like there is a strong part within the Southeast Asian community that feels comfortable. You know, some people really trust their parents and it's like, Hey, I know that you guys are going to go all FBI on this guy's life. And hopefully that's just going to work out for me. So, I mean, it works. But- yeah, and that's basically what Indian matchmaking was, right? Like, Ooh, yeah. match. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was arranged marriage, but mm-hmm. it was given a Western term of matchmaking. That's essentially what arranged marriage in Western countries and some parts of South Asia are. It's just yeah. like, here's a selection of guys, get to know them. But the, it, the problem I feel like arises is in those Western countries and in, in some parts of South Asia, you're allowed that time to get to know them. Yeah. In other parts, it's like you only talk to them out of courtship. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not like an opportunity. Like if it doesn't work out, you can walk away. It's more so like you're talking to them. Now you're committed to them. You have to get married to them. Mm-hmm. So even if you're provided a selection, that doesn't mean that you get to really like talk to all of them. You just have to pick one and go with it. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of issues with marriage in general in our community. Oh my gosh. I think it is. I love that people love to put out the stats that we have the lowest divorce rates. And it's like, yeah, because women don't know how to get out of abusive marriages. Oh and God, they're, yes. Yeah. They're fed the rhetoric that, Hey, you need to preserve like our family value going back to what she said, the family values. And if you can't keep yeah. a household together, you have failed as a person and you yep. need to be again, self-sacrificial. You need to be the martyr to uphold this abusive marriage because that's a bigger that's that's the biggest thing in terms of an accomplishment in our community is like you can keep a family together it doesn't matter at what cost mm-hmm. oh my god 100 percent. that's that's another thing that just like bothers me as well when people are like you know what we have such low divorce rates it's people nowadays don't know how to keep a marriage together they give up so quickly and i don't know how accurate that is I, re- I really can't speak on that, but I do know that the reason divorce rates are so low is because it's just not plausible, right? No matter how abusive it was, at least up until now, at least up until my generation, it just didn't make sense to, because how is a woman supposed to go get a job now? Because mm-hmm. her entire life, she might've been conditioned to believe that her role is to stay at home and be a homemaker, you know? Mm-hmm. And so- how is she supposed to get out of that mindset and be like, you know what, I'm going to get the courage to walk out of this marriage and go get a job, even though that's never been an option for me? How do you create the option in your head? It's difficult for a woman to do that. And that's another thing I wish like Western women would realize. They're like, well, just leave the marriage. I'm like, but oh, you can't just do that. Like, yeah. there's so many factors to consider. You'll be ostracized from the community. Your own parents mm-hmm. may not side with you. Absolutely. And some parents are amazing and they will always prioritize their daughter's mental health and well-being but not all parents are like that yeah and it's important to remember that not all parents are like that because Mm -hmm. then we're ignoring the issues that do occur yeah it's (laughs) It's just really bothersome absolutely and another thing is you know the 
you're I know in um one of your videos you talked about all like the amazing Facebook groups that are there for like the Southeast Asian community especially women and a lot of the times when like I'm also part of most of those groups and I would like read those anonymous posts like I can't leave my family's house because I don't have money and I'm financially dependent I can't get out of this relationship because you know I have no sort of skill set I have no resume I was married right after college or school and I have a child and I can't like take us and, you know, get a place. I've never, I've never been independent. And that thought is so scary. It's like, I can't function without another person because I've never had to do it. And I never fathomed that it would get to this point. But now that if I have to take that step, I feel like my life would deteriorate because I just don't know how to be self-sufficient when it comes to finances. And that's a really, really big part of the struggle in the community, which is especially with the women who want to leave marriages are abusive, even like homes, you know, like if their parents are abusive, you know, they, they want them to same thing, just isolate them. Like, no, you can't do this. You can't have friends. You can't think you can't blah, 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 blah. And they're like, I can't live like this anymore. I need out, but they just don't have the option because finances are such a big part of it because they're controlled at all times. Oh, for sure. I get a lot of messages like that too um, on TikTok saying, can you give me advice on this? Right. Like Aww. my parents, um, won't let me do this. Like they won't let me do that. And right after, like in a couple of years, they're going to get me married and they won't let me like have a job, like all these things in order to keep the woman in control. And you were so right about the pages, like the anonymous pages, especially mm-hmm. on Brown girls rising. There yeah. been so many, so many posts recently of this exact thing. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could read them out loud on TikTok, even though they're anonymous, but I just, you know, can't do that, nor would I feel comfortable, like, you know, potentially exposing someone's story without their consent, but it's so very real, and I think in our generation, we do have privileges of, like, walking out of stuff, because maybe our parents are supportive, or our friends are definitely supportive, or we can support ourselves, if, Mm -hmm. you know, if we have that ability, we can support ourselves, Yeah. but a lot of people cannot, Mm -hmm. and I know, like, I am not, you know, up until a few years ago, like before college, I wasn't financially independent. I'm in grad school, so I'm not financially independent. So I can't move out. So I, I mean, I still live with my parents, which is another stigma I want to address because people <laughs> think, wow, you live with your parents. I'm like, but this is a cultural thing. Like, is do y'all not, you know? Yeah, it's awesome. There's a shame that comes here too. And you don't get to pay rent. I hope they're not. Yeah, no. One of my friends, her parents ask her to pay rent. I find in... that so hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it, it just, yeah, they don't ask me to, which is why I'm also very grateful and which is why I also feel guilty if I ever do say anything against them. And mm-hmm. there's always guilt associated with, you know, like everything in South Asian culture. Anything you say that's your own opinion, you're going to feel guilty about because you understand how many sacrifices have been made for you. But at the same time, you're like, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it makes a total. And I'm glad you like brought that up too, which is it's a part of our culture. Like we can live with our parents yeah. until we get married and maybe and then we move into like a joint family systems. But I feel like right now we're moving away from that narrative too, where we wait until we're comfortable. And then yeah. sometimes people do decide to move, or sometimes people wait their whole lives to be able to make that step. And it's I feel like in most situations, not all, it's also a mental shackle, right? It's like, how am I supposed to do these things by myself? You know, yep. like my own place. Um, 
being away from the family and what will the community say like oh my god a girl living by herself and having like a roommate maybe one of the roommates is a guy's who's coming and who's going and it's like another like stain against them so you you have both the things it comes back to the duality in your personality like you said you like two people it's like if you're westernized you're you're think you're thought of as someone who might have like an enmeshment or attachment to your your parents that you're just not willing to move on and then there's our society which is like you know, if you do choose to move out, like, what are you trying to hide? Like, why do you want this kind of freedom? Like, what do you want to do with this kind of freedom? So, which is super interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, I have a friend who is moving into her own apartment and she's only going to be there for like seven months before she moves again for law school. And she's staying with her parents. Her parents, you know, I mean, they're great. She has like a great life, but she is financially independent. Yeah. And she was like, I just need my own space. Mm -hmm. which is exactly like why I feel like people move out they just need that space Mm -hmm. and yeah I totally get that mentality of what are you hiding it's like what do you mean what am I hiding I just need space and I feel like a lot of South Asians don't understand what you mean by that like why do you need space? space yeah yeah it's like and my parents have you know fortunately been understanding of that like my mom knows once I go into my room at night like I just need that quiet space because there's so much chaos in my house Mm -hmm. like once my dad's in the house the whatsapp videos are on loud like the tv's (laughs) super loud because everything is loud they're screaming to try to even communicate with each other it's just too much Mm -hmm. and I need to be away from that social interaction and just like do nothing on my own I just need some silence you know and I think a lot of people need some space a little bit more than others and maybe that's why they move out and I, it almost seems like selfish to some people, like mm-hmm. some parents may be offended by that. Like, why do you want to go away from us? Do you yeah. hate us that much? But it's like, it's not always about you. It really just, it's about me. I need that space. It's, you know, I'm not trying to offend you. I don't love you any less. Or maybe, you know, some people are trying to get away from abusive parents, but it's like, either way, I feel like moving out is you taking your life into your own hands Mm -hmm. like that first stepping stone like I am now completely independent and now I can start living life the way I want to and I really feel like moving out is like the first step towards that Mm -hmm. no that makes so much sense absolutely and I think for some people it's liberating and for other people it's you know a reality into what the American and westernized lifestyle looks like and for some people it just never happens which is also all right to each their own so you know I'm a therapist, right? So I thought we would end our little chit chat by a association game. I don't know if you know what that okay. is, right? You know I word associations. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say a word, mm-hmm. and I want you to give me the first thing that pops into your mind. Cool. Oh, no. So I have a few. <laughs> so I'm gonna say a word. You okay. tell me the first thing. First thing off the bat. Okay. Let me know where you're when you're ready. Oh my god, I I'm scared of saying something like controversial or no what's so awesome is about this we can edit it out if it's too much <laughs> there'll be like a weird pause where it's like oh it's the next word it's totally fine or we can bleep it out okay you ready all right okay, okay. yeah daisy boys selfish america uh selfish starbucks oh uh, expensive nice biryani goat patriarchy stupid nice this is a funny one uh india's farmer's crisis sad Mm, got it good daisy girl quiet Mm. inclusivity 
pluralism. Nice. Southeast Asians. Uh, <laughs> judgmental. Nice. Um, Bhangra. Fun. The chai. Oh, sweet. I like sweet chai. That's awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for being here. I want you to plug in all of your social medias that you have. I think you don't have a public Instagram. Yeah, I'm not trying to be a influencer of any sort. I just like keeping my my thoughts on TikTok because Mm -hmm. I feel like once you expand, there's just a lot of pressure. So I'm like strict on TikTok. Like that's where my platform is. Mm -hmm. Not trying to you know expand from there. Awesome. So let our peeps know what your username on TikTok is and where they can find you if they want to reach out and like, you know, get that good advice or just the validation <laughs> of your trauma. Yeah. So my TikTok is uh, Gainat Mur because it's spelled K-A-I-N-A-T-H mm-hmm. and then M-E-R. It's the first three letters of my last name, which is why I don't want to give my full name just in case you know, there's like weird people out there and trying to find me. But anyway, yeah, nice. I've gotten out to murder. That's my TikTok. That's awesome. And thank you so much for taking out the time to do this. This was an awesome conversation. And I look, I'm looking forward to bringing you back too. Aww. If you'll <laughs> grant me that you. privilege. Yeah, of course. That's very kind of you. Thank Not you. Not at all. So that was Kainat Merchant here on the What's the Chai podcast. I hope you guys really enjoyed that episode. Feel free to follow us at What's the Chai Official on Instagram, and I will see you next week. Take care.